Building Local Power, a podcast dedicated to thought-provoking conversations about how we can challenge corporate monopolies and expand the power of people to shape their own future. I'm Jess Delfiaco, the host of Building Local Power and Communications Manager here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. For 45 years, ILSR has worked to build thriving, equitable communities where power, wealth, and accountability remain in local hands. Today, I'm joined by ILSR co-director Stacey Mitchell and senior researcher Ron Knox, and we're going to talk about the House Antitrust Subcommittee's new report, which focuses on competition in digital markets, uh, which you've gotten a few updates from us along the way. It's been a more than a year-long investigation, I believe. They've produced 400-plus, 500-plus pages. Um, so Stacy and Ron, what is in this report? Uh, thanks, Jess. Uh, so yeah, 450 pages, like right on the dot, I think, was the final um, the final version of that. So, uh, well, so yeah, so that's the report. And you're right, more than a year long investigation, 16 months, 15 months, 16 months, something like that. And the report is essentially the, uh, you know, the comprehensive findings of this more than year long uh, investigation into the monopoly power of the four big tech companies, as we think about them, uh, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Amazon. So I think the report was really successful. Uh, in showing the ways in which these four tech companies came to dominate and came to monopolize their respective markets. The, you know, the report correctly connected the threads between these companies to show that the problem that is like the reason for their monopolization um, are common among the companies. And in that way, they're more systemic and their problems of policy uh, that can ultimately be corrected with uh, some changes to the law. So the prime example um, identified in the report and identified in the investigation were mergers, right? The investigation found that the four companies uh, had collectively closed, um, you know, hundreds of mergers over the last decade, and that at least some of those mergers happened because the tech monopolies wanted to extinguish competition from uh, a smaller company that, that, you know, they thought could challenge uh, its dominance in some way and in, at, at, at some point down the line. So the evidence showed that this was, for example, Facebook's broad strategy, right? When acquiring Instagram, when acquiring WhatsApp, uh, and other rivals. Uh, now, you know, Facebook's monopoly position is so strong that it mainly competes with its own apps, right? Rather than any other social media company out there. Uh, for Amazon, these kinds of acquisitions included um, rivals like Zappos, uh, the shoe seller, that was its primary competition uh, until Amazon forced it into a merger by undercutting its prices, right? And, you know, and also diapers.com is a good example of that. The, you know, the strategy and the tactics for Amazon uh, and for all of these companies were much the same throughout, throughout this report as, as, as the report identified. So, so that's, that's, you know, kind of one piece of it. Then you have the conduct. And um, I'll just note that a lot of the monopoly conduct that the investigation identified had to do with data and the way these companies acquired and exploited data. So this is like, you know, this is data as market power or as a tool to enforce market power. So Amazon's reach into many various industries and its role as essential infrastructure uh, and as a gatekeeper, right, uh, you know, to the marketplace, uh, allow it to have access to data that no other company can access. And um, in its online marketplace, it knows what's selling, it knows who it's selling to, it knows when and why, and it can leverage that data to preference its own products and services. And it can and indeed has spied on and used data from the small businesses that rely on Amazon to reach their customers 
so that's just kind of part and parcel to a lot of the kinds of abuses that this report found. Uh, you know, Google, Facebook, Apple all use their positions as really critical infrastructure in their various markets to collect troves of data, and that data enhances their power. So those are just two monopoly tactics that the report uncovered, mergers, uh, you know, infrastructure leveraging. Um, I'll point out that these are very high-tech companies, obviously, we know that. Uh, but these are not high-tech tactics. These are not like high-tech actions. These are the same old-school monopoly tactics that um, really powerful companies have used over the years to try to gain unfair advantages in the economy. So uh, they had all these findings and they found these, you know, these various abuses of power. Um, so what does the report say we should do about it? Is it do they want us to create new laws Are these do they focus on existing legislation? Um, was there anything in particular you were excited to see included in their recommendations? Yeah, the report's recommendations are, are really terrific um, and very comprehensive. They fall into like three main buckets. So the first set of recommendations has to do with, okay, now that we have this, this incredibly concentrated markets, power in the hands of just a few companies, what do we do to, to actually restructure those industries and markets so that um, they're open and fair and competitive once again. So the report in this case is really calling for congressional action. It's it's essentially saying things have gotten so far off track with monopoly power that it's time for Congress to step in and put in place some new legislation to attack this head on. So that's one set of recommendations. The second has to do with strengthening our existing antitrust laws, not because the laws themselves aren't strong, but, but the courts have you know, issued a number of rulings and the enforcement agencies have taken a number of positions that have really weakened how we enforce these laws. And so that set of recommendations is basically calling for Congress to like clarify, you know, predatory pricing is illegal, you know, to, to actually put in place and, and bring the law back to their, to sort of its original strength. And then the last set, set of recommendations has to do with strengthening the enforcement agencies, making them more transparent and accountable to the public, making sure they have the resources they need to go after monopoly power and, and that kind of thing. So what exactly is Congress's role? What do they need to do to make these markets more competitive? So one of the, the actually the very first recommendation in the report and the one that we think is most important and is really essential for the other recommendations to actually work is that uh, Congress needs to split these companies up um, and particularly to split them up along business lines. So in the case of Amazon, what we see is that Amazon uses its power in one area to exploit, essentially exploits that power in order to move into adjacent industries with like kind of a built-in advantage. So one example of this that we've documented here at ILSR in our, in our work is Amazon you know, has this controlling power over third-party sellers on its marketplace and it basically forces them to use its shipping and package delivery service. So Amazon has become this like dominant player in logistics. It's now delivering as many packages almost as UPS and FedEx. And it's done that basically by strong arming the companies that depend on its website. And it does that over and over again. It leverages power in one area to gain the upper hand in another. And so the way we need to address that is actually just to pass legislation that would require Amazon to spin itself off into multiple companies. So that's the most important recommendation. And then another recommendation that I would highlight is one that has to do with um, requiring 
that dominant digital platforms operate with a duty of fair dealing and fair terms. So essentially what that's saying is that Amazon as a marketplace that all these other companies rely on can't exploit that uh, position to favor some companies over others, to charge exorbitant fees, all the ways we see now that Amazon takes advantage of, of sellers and abuses them, and indeed in some cases takes advantage of, of customers too, you know, applying standards of non-discrimination, basically saying you're a kind of common carrier. You're, as, as Ron said, your infrastructure, and therefore you have an obligation to treat all comers fairly. Uh, so that's another really key recommendation in the report. I think that breaking up Amazon seems like a like a, a big new idea. But Ron, recently you uh, wrote in the Washington Post about how this fits within historical precedent in America for dealing with monopolies. Would you say that this is you know the recommendations in this report breaking up these companies is that does that fall in line with things we've done in the past or does this go further um, in any way? I mean, I think it falls right in line with um, a lot of, you know, the actions that we as a country have taken uh, over the last, you know, century or so to rein in corporate power. Um, as anyone here at ILSR, like internally will tell you, I love the history of this stuff. And I think it's really, really fascinating. And I think it's really interesting to like see and follow all of the parallels between um, these kind of past issues of monopoly power and then the congressional reaction to that, the very democratic reaction to that power. So, uh, and and also I'll mention just real quickly that, yeah, I mean, you know, breakups, uh, a lot of, you know, pro-monopoly folks, a lot of folks who, who, you know, take the sides of these kind of corporate titans say that this is a radical action to break up these companies. It's not. And in fact, it's like part and parcel to the antitrust laws themselves. And it's a crucial kind of tool in the toolbox, you know, both of Congress and of the antitrust enforcers that's been used, you know, repeatedly over the years to good effect. So, I mean, so just a couple of examples of, um, you know, the way that Congress has responded to these kind of peaks and spikes in monopoly power over the years. So we all, I don't know, I don't know how common, you know, knowledge this is, but the first antitrust law was passed more than a century ago, 1890, and it's commonly called the Sherman Act. And it's a, you know, it's a good law, right? And it's a strong law. And that law after it was passed, was used really successfully to break up some of like the headline monopolies of those days, right? Which was like Standard Oil, American Tobacco, and so on, a few other companies. But the law was quite narrow, so it didn't capture all of the various kinds of conduct that can lead to monopoly power, including mergers and so on. So there was still this kind of monopoly problem coursing through the economy that was not addressed by the first law. And a part of that was the power of Wall Street financers, right? So the public called this the money trust. And what they meant by the money trust was these like four or five really powerful financers led by JP Morgan and some others who used um, both their wealth and, you know, their political kind of power to build and prop up these monopolies throughout the economy. So JP Morgan himself and his money helped create U.S. Steel and then helped to create some of the companies that we're really familiar with today, right? AT&T, General Electric, and so on. So, and there was really no way to address, you know, using that first law, there was no way to address the way that he used his power and the way that he built these monopolies. So what happened, right? So, so Congress convened a group of lawmakers, uh, and that committee's, you know, findings and report led to major legal reforms. It led to the passage of a law called the Clayton Act, 
which really has become the bedrock of antitrust enforcement in America that stopped mergers, stopped um, what are known as interlocking directorates, which a lot of these kind of Wall Street financiers use to control these companies. Um, and so on. Uh, and it also led to, you know, to the creation of the Federal Trade Commission, which is now our primary anti-monopoly uh, you know, enforcement agency in America. So the democratic intervention there worked. And by 1914, J.P. Morgan had essentially gotten his hand out of a lot of these companies, including AT&T and the railroads and so on. So, you know, that's just one example. But we can see this pattern throughout history, right? You know, in the New Deal, a lot of the a lot of the congressional, you know, investigations uh, led by the Temporary National Economic Committee, which is more commonly called the Monopoly Committee. You know, it revealed corporate power throughout, you know, problematic corporate power throughout the economy, and um, and a lot of those findings led to much more, you know, stringent and dedicated antitrust enforcement, and led to some very important legal changes as well. So, uh, so essentially, we're just you know, this isn't new. This isn't radical. Um, these are things that have happened uh, kind of over and over um, over the course uh, of the last you know century or so. And this is Congress using um, its democratic kind of you know power to uh, you know to rein in this very undemocratic kind of corporate power um, that now really dominates the economy. Yeah. So you've gotten close to touching on this, but I just want to dig in a little bit deeper. Another argument, um, you know, from the, the pro-monopolist side is this is America where if a man's on track to become the world's first trillionaire, you know, we should just give him a pat on the back no matter how he, he did that. But really what you're saying is that monopoly power is fundamentally a threat to democracy. Could you just expand on that a little bit more? Sure. Absolutely. So, you know, the things we see with monopoly power have been, you know, the problems of monopoly power, I should say, have been a concern in America since the very dawn of the country, right? I mean, Thomas Jefferson wanted to wanted to include an amendment to the Constitution that would essentially ban monopolies or restrict monopolies. Um, the Boston Tea Party was an anti-monopoly, you know, uprising, uh, basically. So, you know, so these things are kind of ingrained in the fabric uh, of America, and for good reason, right? Because um, in a body like Congress, you have real democracy, right? The members of that body uh, are elected by people, and they're elected to, you know, to represent the will of the people. You don't have that same kind of thing with corporate power. There's no, there's no democratic checks and balances internally to a monopoly. It's, it just wields power. And it doesn't matter what anyone thinks about it. it. It, it, you know, wields power for the sake, you know, of profit and its shareholders and so on. And it's not just economic power that those monopoly companies wield, right? It's real political power as well. You can see that in um, the way that monopolies bend policy to favor bigness and to favor themselves. Um, the amount of money and manpower at lobbying, for example, uh, to make sure that laws, um, the laws favor them. So it has this very undemocratic kind of, you know, nature to it. Uh, and Congress has always been the counterbalance to that undemocratic power. Uh, before I go on to my next question, let's take a short break. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Building Local Power. If you've appreciated our coverage of the investigation into the power of big tech, I hope you'll consider heading over to ILSR.org donate to help support our work. 
Beyond making this podcast possible, your donations support all of our work at ILSR. Help us produce the research and resources necessary to push back against concentrated corporate power and build strong local communities. Go to ILSR.org donate. Any amount is sincerely appreciated. And now back to my conversation with ILSR Stacey Mitchell and Ron Knox. Stacey, do you know what should we expect to happen next? What, what steps might Congress take now that they have this report? Well, the congressman who chairs this committee and really led this whole investigation, David Cicilline, has said that we uh, can expect legislation uh, to be introduced maybe as soon as the end of this year, like before the year is out. And, you know, we'll see what happens with the election. I do think one thing that's interesting to note on that front is that, you know, the report is a report of the majority uh, on the committee, which which are Democrats. But there was a set of several Republicans on the committee who issued simultaneously their own report, which agrees with many of the conclusions of the majority. And in fact, um, says that Amazon is uh, its business model is, quote, inherently anti-competitive, which is a pretty strong conclusion to draw. Uh, so there is some level of bipartisan support for this. But, you know, I think what happens with the election, we'll kind of we'll see where we land and how that sets the stage potentially for legislation next year. You know, I think it's really interesting. I mean, part of what this committee has done that's been so heartening um, is that they have not only done this incredible investigation of the tech companies and really in great detail kind of comprehensively laid out the problem. They've also done it in a way that's been very accessible to people, you know, as we've talked about before. I mean, there's a there's a section in the report that has the subtitle bullying. You know, so they're not using arcane antitrust. I mean, it's it's a very juicy report if you if you are an antitrust, you know, scholar, there's a lot for you to, you know, to uh, really like about this report, but anybody can pick it up and read it, which I think is pretty remarkable. Um But what's also been really critical about this whole process is that by doing this, the committee has illustrated like the power of investigation uh, and the importance of congressional investigation and given us kind of a glimpse of like, well, what would it be like if Congress actually worked on problems, like delved into the hard stuff and like came to a shared set of facts and then tried to figure out what are the right solutions. And so, you know, within this, you can start to see like not only how do we solve the problem of monopoly power and that kind of dominance of these tech companies, but also how do we solve the problem of what's gone wrong with Congress? So I think, you know, we're likely to see legislation. I think there's growing consensus that something very substantial, including breakups, needs to be done. And I think what is also, you know, what is really important is that is that this committee has said, you know, this is Congress's job. And it's been a long time, I mean, as Ron kind of talked about, it's been a long time since Congress has stepped up to the plate on antitrust, but historically, Congress has always had a role. Congress has stepped in every so often, looked at this problem, added new legislation, clarified the meaning of laws, gotten the courts back on track. And we're at a moment where the courts have gone wildly off track, um, the enforcement agencies wildly off track, and it's time for Congress to step back up. And so it's it's pretty exciting. And I think, um, you know, I think there's some real momentum uh, heading into the next session. You know, I think that um, folks can make this argument that there's nothing wrong with being big in America. There's nothing wrong with having a big, powerful company and you have the right to be a monopoly um, in America. And I think there's like, I think it's good to have the argument about whether or not that is true and whether or not that's the intent of the law and the intent of, you know, Congress when they pass the law. 
But I think what this report really makes clear is that that's not the issue here. Because it's not just that these companies are big. It's that these companies have used their size and their market power to to crush competition, to you know, exploit rivals to really control um, uh, the pathway to market for a lot of other companies in the economy. And that's different, right? We're, we're not just talking about bigness. We're talking about um, what, what the report identifies as bad actors and bad actions. And all of those things can and should be reached by um, our anti-monopoly laws. So just you know, Jess, going back to your to your comment for a second um, that I should have mentioned, um, uh, uh, you know, in the first place. But I think that's an important distinction to make. Yeah, that's totally right. And 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 you know, we should recognize that the that the power that these companies have and their ability to engage in those kinds of behaviors and to use those sort of predatory tactics, you know, is a function of shifts in policy. I mean, had Amazon come along in an earlier era. It would, you know, things that it did to gain this this incredible position would have invited criminal prosecution, you know, like we used to prosecute these things. And we used right. to have a more dynamic economy, an economy that had more uh, business startups where there was a fair distribution of income, where working people had an easier time forming unions. You know, I mean, we used to have an economy that worked better in a lot of ways, um, you know, save, of course, for the fact that uh, people of color were often excluded from those protections. But in a lot of ways, you know, in the mid 20th century, we had more, we had a much better distribution of income, distribution of power. And, and we have really gone uh, so to, to these just extreme levels of inequality. I was on a panel this morning and someone said that, you know, Jeff Bezos has now become worth $200 billion. And what that means is that he could write a check for $100,000 to every single one of Amazon's 800 and some thousand employees. He could write a check for $100,000 to every one of them. And he would still have as much money as he had in February of this year. I mean, you know, if that's not an illustration of monopoly power, I, you know, I don't know what is. And it's like we have to tackle that if we want to restore democracy and some sense of liberty and equality and, and what this country is supposed to be about. Say we see new legislation, you know, if not before the end of the year, um, you know, coming soon out of Congress. Will that have effects throughout the economy or throughout society beyond just these four companies? Will that shape, uh, you know, the future of our economy in, in some way? It's a great question, because I think you're absolutely right that that the kind of legislation that's being contemplated will restore a lot of the anti-monopoly checks and balances um, to our policy, and that will affect lots of different industries. You know, I think because the of the nature of the tech company's power, because of the kind of surveillance that, that Ron talked about, because their role is essential infrastructure, um, because of the very, you know, very evident threat to democracy that that poses, they have gotten lawmakers' attention in a different kind of way that the you know, sort of monopolistic companies uh, that came before them haven't. And so what's great about that is that it then is now causing them to really look deeper at this whole problem and to propose legislation that would address monopoly power broadly. Um, you know, we'll see what bills actually come out of the recommendations. But in terms of the recommendations in the report, you know, there are things like 
easier standards around proving predatory pricing, which is something that lots of big companies um, and predatory companies have engaged in across the economy. We've, we've seen it with Walmart, for example. Um, so it, there are provisions around uh, merger guidelines and standards. There are provisions around uh, how the antitrust agencies operate and being more accountable to the public. You know, so all of these things will affect not just the tech companies if they become law, but they'll affect uh, uh, powerful corporations across the economy and really, you know, enable farmers and small business people and working people to actually get a fair share. I think all of that is exactly right. And the thing I'll highlight when I think about like what the effect will be, like if, you know, were all of the recommendations in this report to happen, you know, obviously the structural separation is important and there are lots of important recommendations, but, you know, a part of it would, um, a part of the recommendations would restrict mergers of a certain size. And basically, you know, a new law would say a merger that creates um, a company in the industry over X size, it just can't happen. There's a structural, you know, presumption against it. Imagine the effect that that kind of, you know, that kind of law would have on the economy, both from a small business perspective and from uh, you and me, regular person on the street, you know, perspective. For small businesses, you know, you would have all of these, like all of these other options, you know, of places to sell your goods into, right? So imagine you're a small farmer, you're a family farmer. Um, and instead of having two or three massive, you know, meatpacking plants, you know, to buy your goods, you have five, six, seven you know, meat packing plants in your region to sell your goods into. You're going to get better prices for your goods, for your livestock, for your, for your, you know, your products. And that's going to have rippling effects throughout your community because you're doing better. You have the ability to hire, to grow, to do all these things that we should all, you know, that a small business in America should be able to do, but now cannot do because of this kind of heightened, you know, monopoly power, you know, that really creates these bottlenecks. And then from a consumer perspective, I mean, you know, imagine if you're, I always go back to airlines and I know that airlines are kind of, you know, they're for like business travelers or whatever. But honestly, imagine instead of having three national airlines or four national airlines that we have now, you had seven, you had eight. Your life is going to be better if you have to fly. Your, you know, your tickets are going to be less expensive. You're not going to have baggage fees. You're not going to have, you know, you're going to have more room. You're going to have all these other, all these other things, all these other ancillary benefits. And so I think the merger, uh, you know, the merger law recommendations in the report themselves can have these massive, um, you know, rippling effects throughout the economy that will be better for all of the various, uh, you know, actors that have to interact with monopoly power. Wow, an economy that works for everybody. What a concept. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Okay, well, thank you guys for joining me today. Uh, just so everyone listening knows, uh, keep an eye out on our website, on the independent business section of our website in particular. Um, we'll have resources, explainers, um, a petition so you can help make sure that your um, representatives are paying attention to this report and taking its recommendations to heart. That'll be all up on ILSR.org. Um, yeah, thank you, Ron and Stacy, for joining me. Thank you, Jess. Thanks, Jess. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Building Local Power podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. You can find links to what we discussed today by going to ilsr.org and clicking on the show page for this episode. That's ilsr.org. While you're there, you can sign up for one of our many newsletters and connect with us on social media. We hope you'll also take the opportunity to help us out with a gift that helps produce this very podcast and supports the research and resources we make available for free on our website. 
Finally, we ask that you let us know how we're doing with a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. The show is produced by me, Jess Delfiaco, and edited by Drew Birschbach. Our theme music is Funk Interlude by Dysfunctional. For the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, I'm Jess Delfiaco, and I hope you'll join us again in two weeks for the next episode of Building Local Power.